When I heard this Indian choir uh, singing this morning, I, I sort of had a flashback to when I was about five years old, and my dad would take me in his Jeep out to villages in South India where he was planting churches at the time, and uh, we would do bhajana for hour upon hour with those Indian Christians. And uh, so that five-year-old five boy woke up this morning. Uh, how fitting. This couldn't have happened any better for me. Thank you. And uh, what a joy it is and a privilege to share with you this morning. I just invite you to pray with me. Jesus, you are alive and well and in this place as we've gathered in your name. You're here among us as our risen, exalted Lord. And we acknowledge your presence and just invite you to come and have your own way and your own will among us. And as you encountered that woman at that well, would you come today and have a conversation with each one of us? And speak to us as you spoke to her and transform us as you transformed her and that whole Samaritan village. Uh, we invite your presence here. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name, your name, above all names. Amen. If you only knew, if you only knew, Woman, if you only knew who it is that you were talking to, then you wouldn't be asking him about how he's going to get a drink of water. No, you'd be the one that was doing the asking. You'd be asking him to give you a drink of that living water that becomes in the person who drinks it a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. If you only knew. Well, she didn't know, did she? <laughs> She didn't know who it was that she was talking to that day. And it's kind of interesting as you unpack this story, the way Jesus leads her along. First gently, then not so gently. So that she does come to know. First he's a prophet. And then she discovers that he is the Messiah. And before it's all over, the Samaritans are saying he's the savior of the world. And we could talk about that this morning, how Jesus kind of leads her along so that she does know, but, but I don't want to do that. Actually, what I want to do is back up a little bit and talk about some of the things that she did know and some of the things that the people in that village knew and some of the things that Jesus knew. Now, um, there was one thing that everyone knew. There was no doubt in anybody's mind. This woman was no good. It's interesting that Jesus, in his conversation with her, he lets her know that he knows what everybody else in the village already knew, even though he'd never met her before. You're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Was she an immoral woman? A harlot? A prostitute? Sometimes biblical commentators and 
I've heard lots of preachers suggest that over the years. Or was she just a woman who was a victim of a lot of unfortunate, difficult circumstances? You know, several of these husbands had died on her. Maybe a couple of others had divorced her. Well, we really don't know for sure. But what we do know is that in in the minds of everyone, this was a woman you'd want to avoid like the plague. Bad. All bad. It's interesting. We're given a little detail in this story. We're told the time of day that this conversation between Jesus and this woman took place. It says it was about noon. Now, folks, why in the world would you go to a well at noon, high noon, to draw water in the heat of the day? No, everybody knows you get up early in the morning in the cool of the day to go and draw water, and you also go then because that's when everybody else will be at the well, and at least that way while you're working Drawing water, you can catch up on the latest news, hear the latest gossip, socialize a little bit. Not if you're this woman, you don't. She had to make sure she was at that well when no one else would be there. She'd rather endure the scorching heat of the noonday sun as to the scornful stares of the people in that village. This woman was no good. Everybody knew that. And yet, how does Jesus respond to this woman? How does he treat her? Does he shun her? Does he scold her? Does he stick his nose up at her? No. Isn't this amazing? (laughs) He's the one that reaches out to her and invites her into a conversation with him. He takes this woman seriously, listens to her, values her opinion, gets into a theological discussion of all things with her. He reaches out to her with love and compassion, doesn't he? crosses all kinds of boundary lines to do it. But he reaches out to her. Now, and I suspect this morning, there aren't too many in this room that have lived the kind of crazy, mixed up life that that woman obviously had lived. But I wonder this morning as you've come here, how do you think that Jesus responds to the badness in you? Most of us are okay bringing him our goodness, aren't we? We're comfortable with that. But how do you think he responds to the badness in you? Well, I'm here today to tell you that he is here and he's reaching out to us just like he reached out to her, reaching out to all of you. If you thought when you came into Estes Chapel this morning you were 
coming into some sort of exclusive country club for saints, well, you're in the wrong place. Because that's not what this is. This, this is a hospital for sinners, isn't it? And he's here reaching out to all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly. But now, there was one thing about this woman that not everybody knew. Actually, Jesus knew this, and she knew this, although she didn't know that he knew, and he knew that she didn't know that he knew. <laughs> Jesus knew that this woman didn't like being the kind of person that she was. Oh, deep in her heart, there was an inner longing. I wish my life could be different. I wish I wasn't stuck in the place that I am. I wish my life could be changed. Now, you know, if you'd run in her, into her here in town at the subway or the Dollar General, you probably would have never known it. I mean, she was the kind of person that probably, just to survive, would have had to have had a tough, crusty exterior. You might have said, hey, man, she's a tough cookie. You, you don't want to mess with her. But you can't always judge a book by its cover, can you? I'm thinking of that tough-looking, tough-acting high school kid, you know, he drives around town in that jacked-up car, and he's got that car stereo blurring so loud that the whole neighborhood starts vibrating when he gets about three blocks away. <laughs> the way he dresses, the way he just glares at you, everything about him says, hey, man, I'm bad. You don't want to mess with me. But one day after school's out, he's talking to one of his teachers who's taken the time to care about him and get to know him. And he admits, you know, it's just, a, it's just a big front. My parents don't care about me. I feel so alone. I'm so scared. You don't know how close I came last Friday night after the football game, just driving off the road and ending it all. But I could never let people know what I'm really like. Then I'm thinking of that church lady. You know, they warned me about NOLA before I even became the pastor of the church. What a piece of work she was, a member of my congregation. And when the folks in the congregation saw her coming, they tended to duck and head in the other direction. I remember saying to my wife Carol one day, you know, it just seems like everything she touches around here just turns to conflict. But I sat with her in her kitchen one afternoon, and she cried like a little baby. Steve, she said, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I get in these situations where I'm with people, and I feel threatened, and then something inside me snaps, and I just lash out, and I say things that I wish I'd never said. She looked across the kitchen table at me, 
Steve, she said, you think there's any hope for an old lady like me? Can't always tell a book by its cover, can you? I wonder if you've come here this morning. Are there some areas in your life where you'd like to be changed, made new, set free? Jesus knows about you and me what not everyone else knows. He hears your night cries. And he's here this morning reaching out to you and to me. But there was one thing about this woman that only Jesus knew. People in the village, uh, they didn't know this. The, the woman herself, she didn't know this. Only Jesus knew that she could be changed. Oh, the people in the village, they'd, they'd, they'd written her off years ago. Honey, there, there's no way she'll ever, not her kind, she'll never change. And I suspect somewhere along the way, she quit believing it could ever happen either. But although they'd written her off, and she had written herself off, more than likely, oh, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the risen Lord who's here today, he hadn't written her off. He knew that because of who she was, he was rather, and the living water that he had to bring, he knew that she could be changed. I think I'm supposed to tell someone here this morning who's just about written yourself off. That Jesus wants you to know he hasn't written you off. He's here today reaching out to you. I know it's so important, isn't it, that those of us that claim to be his followers and those of us that are called to leadership in Christian ministry, how important it is that, that we, that we keep believing in people and their capacity to be changed through the power of Christ, especially, especially when they've lost the capacity to believe in themselves anymore. A couple of years ago, Frank Craddock died. He was for many years famous, well-known professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta. And he, he wrote books about preaching that have influenced a whole generation of preachers. 
And uh, he, he used to tell a story about a time when he and his wife were taking a vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, around in the 1950s. And while they were there, they went out to eat one evening at a, at a fancy five-star restaurant. And while they were sitting there, they noticed this distinguished-looking white-haired gentleman kind of making his way around to the various tables in the restaurant, and they just perceived he must be the owner of the restaurant. But Fred said when he started to come toward his table, he, he sighed a little bit inwardly. You know, he really hadn't taken a vacation because he wanted to make small talk with strangers. He had taken a vacation to really get away from people for a while. But here the man was now, and he tried it to strike up a conversation. Oh, uh, he said to Fred, uh, where, where, where are you from? Well, Fred said, actually, I'm, I'm from the state of Tennessee. I was born in, in western Tennessee in a pretty rural part of the state. Well, um, where do you live now? Well, we live in Atlanta. Well, what do you do? Well, he said, I'm a professor in a seminary. I'm a professor of preaching. I try to help young preachers understand and learn how to preach better. Well, you know, when that man heard that word preaching, his, his eyes just, it just kind of lit up. Oh, he said, man, preacher, huh? I got a great preacher story to tell you. Well, Fred said the last thing in the world he needed right then was another preacher story. But he didn't have the energy to be impolite. He just let the man talk. You know, the man said, um, I'm from this part of Tennessee, born not too far from here, born in 1870, years ago. But he said, when I was born, I was born illegitimate. Never really knew my father. And back in those days, he said, people in these parts, they didn't take too kindly to that. So as I was growing up, I got called all kinds of names. I got teased. I got shunned. And by the time I was a teenager, he said, I had just learned that it was wise for me to avoid people whenever I could. And so that's what I did. But he said, um, I went to church one Sunday, and we'd gotten a new preacher. And he, he, he was such a great preacher. I loved to hear that man preach. He was an orator, and so I began to go to church just to hear him preach. And he said, what I would do is I'd wait till the service got started, and then I'd slip in the back door, and I'd sit on the back seat, and I'd listen to him preach, and then I'd slip out the door, and while they were, you know, singing the last hymn and giving the benediction, I was on my way out, so I was off out the parking lot and heading toward home. That way, you know, I never got hassled. I never had to talk to anybody, but I got to hear him preach. But I went to church one Sunday, and all the seats in the back were taken, and I thought to myself, well, gosh, I'm here. I want to hear him preach. I guess I'll just 
moved down front. So I moved down toward the front. And then after he'd finished preaching, I was a little too embarrassed to just get up and walk out in front of everybody. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just stay here till the bitter end. So now I was making my way toward the back of the church and the preacher was back there and he was shaking hands with people and now it was my turn to shake his hand and, and when I did, he, he, he looked at me and he said, he said, son, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever really met you. I, I know your face, but, but um, tell me, he said, Who, whose son are you? Who's your daddy? Well, he said, when he said that, I, I turned as red as a beet. And there were people around who heard him ask me that, and they knew about me and my family situation. But he said before I could say anything, he must have realized he had done something wrong because he, he just said, oh, oh, that's okay. I know whose son you are. He said, you're a son of God. That's who you are. And then with a kind of a twinkle in his eye, he reached out and he put his hand on my shoulder and looked me square in the eye and said, Now, son of God, I want you to go out of this sanctuary this morning and claim your inheritance. Wow, this was no ordinary preacher story, was it? And Fred said he had felt a little embarrassed at the way he'd felt about the man earlier, and he thanked him for sharing that story with him and being open and vulnerable with him about himself that way. The man got ready to leave and move on and... uh, Fred said, you know, I think I told you my name earlier, but I don't think I got your name. Uh, oh, oh, he said, uh, I'm Ben Hooper, and I'm the owner of this restaurant. And then he went on to another table. But Fred s- sat there kind of stunned, and he kept saying to his wife, Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper. Uh, I've heard that name somewhere. And then he remembered as a kid growing up in Tennessee, learning about state history of Tennessee, learning that in the early part of the 20th century, around 1910 or so, that the citizens of the state of Tennessee had elected an illegitimate, mind you, a man named Ben Hooper as their governor. Ben Hooper, a man born illegitimate, yes. But much more importantly, Ben Hooper, a man born to be a son of the living God. Jesus knew something about this woman that not no one else knew.
He knew that because of who she was and who he was, she was destined to be a daughter of the king. He's here today. And particularly for someone who's almost given up on themselves. He knows what your destiny and my destiny is. Do you need to be changed, made new? Do you need a fresh drink of that living water? Even Jesus needed a drink, didn't he? Worn out by his journey, the text says. Do you need a fresh drink of that water? If you only knew, come and drink this morning and then go out of here, sons and daughters of the living God and claim your inheritance. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that that story that's an old story about a woman at the well can, can happen. It, when it's proclaimed, it's affected here in our midst. So we invite you to come and just meet us, whatever our need is. And we thank you for not giving up on us and for your power to change us and set us free. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So. So as the band leads us in a final song, uh, as we stand and, the, and as they lead us, I just want to open this altar this morning. If you need to come this morning, and uh, if you need a, a, a fresh drink in the midst of your weariness, if you need to just give some area, some broken area of your life, Surrender it once again to the Lord Jesus. Just whatever it is he's speaking to you about. This, place, this is a place of prayer. So as uh, they lead us, you come if the Lord is speaking to you. Let's stand together.